Hello and welcome back to Control-Alt-Delete. This is episode 35 and today's guest is a very exciting one. It's Heather Havraleski. And if you don't already read her column, Ask Polly, then you are missing out. She is like the sweary big sister of the internet who gives weekly advice, which she writes for the New York magazine's The Cut. She answers questions such as, how do I dump my crappy best friend? To, I'm broke and I hate my job. To, more serious things like, my sister has cancer and I can't go on. It's been my favourite column to read online for a long, long time, so I'm so happy to have Heather on. Um, Sorry about my voice, I've got a bit of a cold, um, but I didn't have a cold when I interviewed Heather, so the rest of the podcast shouldn't sound so croaky. Um, She has a book that's just come out called How to Be a Person in the World, which is full of loads of Ask Polly columns, both new and old, and it's already had amazing reviews, including the amazing New Yorker. She's also the author of the memoir Disaster Preparedness, published in 2011 by Riverhead, and she was the Salon.com's TV critic for seven years before writing the Ask Polly column. I can't believe I had the privilege to ask Polly questions, so um, I hope you enjoy this episode, and please do tweet us both if you enjoyed it, and thanks again for subscribing. Here it is. glad I've got you I'm so excited to have you on I'm a huge fan of your column and your book thank you I think the columns really help people you're changing how people are feeling and I know that I look forward to receiving the new alerts of like your new columns and um do you think that's one of the reasons it's been so popular is because your columns are about the people who read them as much as they are about that one person that writes in yeah the great thing about having any kind of column um, in general for a writer is that you you kind of develop a relationship with your readers it that sounds sort of like bullshit and uh, I, I I kind of tend to gag when I hear other writers say that but you know having some kind of a, a sort of weekly back and forth I don't know I guess I feel like when I when I write the column I end up feeling like I'm kind of um, talking to a bunch of really smart, funny friends of mine. And you know, it, it's sort of like your your writing is best when you feel that way about it. I, you know, I, I wrote a TV column for Salon for seven years and I kind of felt the same way. It's sort of like, I don't, I, for me, I think it's difficult to get into the proper kind of inspired space without sort of believing the absolute best about the people who are rece- on the receiving end of it. Yeah, it's, it feels, it does feel like a conversation. You know, I mean, I select letters that there's some piece of it that I can relate to. And, and I just trust that that's a piece that other people can relate to, too. I mean, wh- having been guided by that instinct for a while, it tends to, um, it tends to go well you know, when I'm, yeah. when I just assume the best. That's really, really cool. Cause I was reading in an interview that um, you were saying that, cause obviously your book is new and old columns that your letters that you receive are so amazing and, and how hard it was to pick them because the worst thing must be to write, like write things that you think other people will enjoy. Yeah. I mean, you know, it can, it kind of cuts both ways. There are times when you, it's hard not to calculate and think, this will be popular, you know, hey, I'll do this popular thing. I mean, I think everyone sort of curates themselves in that way, uh, whether they want to or not. And it's, it can be kind of corrosive to your um, better instincts as a writer and as an artist, dare I use the word artist. Um, And also just as a personality. I mean, I, I have to kind of correct myself um, over and over again and kind of think about like, 
you know, remind myself to dare to do things that might be unpopular just as a matter of course, because that's sort of my personality. I mean, I, I think that my personality uh, and the things that I love and write about often are things that, um, you know, would naturally alienate a lot of people. Uh, and that's, I mean, I mean, I think, you know, I don't want to just be take the best parts of myself and present those. I'd like to present the whole picture because I feel like that's part of my kind of guiding philosophy is that, you, you know, you it's hard to be happy as a person if you're carefully selecting out the things that you uh, feel will play the best with a crowd instead of just um, showing up as you are. That's interesting. And I was going to ask, like, is um, Dear Polly, because um, it's interesting that it's not Dear Heather. Is it a slight distancing thing or was it just the name of the column? The When I pitched the column originally to the All, I basically, you know, Corey Siha was the co-founder of the All and he was the one, the, the guy that I pitched the column to. Um, and he, I actually didn't have a name for the column at all. I think I, I wanted to call it Turning the Screw. <laughs> you know, I, I wanted it to have kind of a negative name. And then he was like, well, we've got to give you a pseudonym because that's the way these things work, right? Uh, and I was like, I don't, you know, I don't know. Yeah, you know, he, I, I probably would have stupidly said Dear Heather, which is not, um, it actually doesn't provide the right kind of distance in some ways. It's, it feels a little bit like um, a little wrong. On the other hand, I remember like looking into Dear Prudence and saying like, wait, that's not her real name. I don't get it. It's funny how confused you can get. I'm like, I love Polly's writing. And it's like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize for a while because obviously like your Twitter feed and like you as a person, you are totally, totally that column. It's all the same voice. Yeah, it's I mean, it's easy not having to be, a you know, a persona and an actual human. I think that the column from the very beginning was very honest and very, um, I was probably a little bit more um, bodacious and obnoxious in the very beginning because um, I was just getting my kind of sea legs. But I think, um, you know, people used to ask me, is this really the way you are? Are you really, you know, are you really, you know, how, how, what is it like to write in this persona? And, you know, I, I, it was sort of like, yeah, that's sadly, that's my real personality. <laughs> it's not, in fact, a, a ruse. It's nice that there's a balance, though. Obviously, there's some bits that are harder to read than others or some are more positive than others. But um, I really like that quote. I um, can't remember what it's from, but I wrote it down. Life is twinge and twinkle and how it's almost like it goes through phases. It's never, never good all the time. It's never bad all the time. It's a, um, that's a line from a Gwendolyn Brooks poem called The Bean Eaters. And th there's sort of this, uh, you know, a line of it was um, uh, twinklings and twinges. It's, it's about an old couple that are sitting in their rented room and they seem to have ha not have much, and, but then um, sort of learn that they have their memories and they have twinklings and twinges and beads and vases. And they, they sort of, they sound a little bit like pack rats. So it sounds a little. Kind of, I love your Twitter feed for that. Like you always post really cool, like snippets of other things and just your thoughts. And it's like an extension of the column. You can kind of read on. I feel like it's a little bit schizophrenic 
like it's a little bit all over the map. Like, I, you know, I don't, <laughs> it's hard to be consistent, you know, and I, I don't I actually sort of abandon it at some point and was just like, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I don't know about you, but I feel like a different person every day. So I just yes. have to kind of roll with whatever. Oh my God, that's the truest thing. Because um, I was, I was going to ask you kind of, um, I, I'm interested in this like relationship between writers and social media because Twitter is amazing obviously for writers because the idea of condensing down something into a thought is like you know the dream it's like a sentence but equally for someone who enjoys writing long-form things and like having bigger thoughts it's also quite damaging at times and I just I wondered how your relationship is with is with it and and has it changed over time I have a terrible yes it's sort of changed I, I have like a very very uh like what's what's a word for just a really dysfunctional relationship tumultuous. Yeah, it's, it is very tumultuous you know I went on book tour this summer and it was great and I just was not on Twitter that much and then I got back and I just I have a few less deadlines than I've had earlier in the year because you know in the in the run-up to a book you're trying to place articles everywhere and you're doing a lot of interviews and you're just busy mm. and it's just wall-to-wall -wall work and I really tried to make some space after the book tour for just you know, fucking around and kind of doing nothing. And instead of, you know, like, uh, relaxing, what should I be doing? Sitting outside, spending quality time with my children, getting in, in better shape, you know, the things that <laughs> sort of make you stronger after you've been traveling. I find myself on Twitter too much. And I think it's actually a fallout from a, a close family member of mine is going through kind of a health crisis and I spent a week helping him and it was very dark and dreary and he's getting better and it's fine. But, um, I just think that I, there was some kind of mechanism whereby there was too much darkness in my life. And I just went straight to just the trivia, you know, the strange distraction universe of, of, um, Twitter. And I've, been struggling lately to pull myself out. I mean, ideally, I think Twitter is you check it every, you know, I'm not going to say there's an ideal number of times to check Twitter or to like, um, you know, get in touch with the stories of the day through Twitter and to check in with your favorite people you follow. But for me, it's sort of like, do your writing in the morning, uh, check in with Twitter as a little treat. <laughs> Uh, write one or two crazy whatever's on your mind tweets and get the fuck out. <laughs> get out. Yes. That's really the good advice. The worst case scenario is three hours later, you're like, holy shit, what have I been doing? And then that night, you know, before you go to bed, you're like, okay, okay. I got to check back in with my imaginary friends. I mean, which honestly, it Twitter is so strange. It's I don't, I mean, I don't know what your relationship to it is personally, but I feel sometimes like I think a thought and I think like, I got to tell my friends, I got to get back on Twitter and tell them about this. And that's just crazy. And, and not only that, but it is that it, it is at war with that long form stuff. I mean, you kind of, you have to struggle through the effort to write the long thing with that has a lot of ideas in it, not just one 140 character idea. Yeah. Um, so it's, I'm very conflicted, but I feel like I kind of get fed by it and I love it. And I've met so many interesting, great people through it. And it feels like the smart audience, the select audience that you've selected for yourself. I mean, there are a million good things about it. Yeah. I'm, I'm the same. Like I love it so much for so many different reasons and it opens up 
such amazing opportunities but at the same time I feel like I'm letting down my like ancestors by not like <laughs> you know and that and that's actually the main motivation that got me to write the book because I was like I'm not making anything and I think yeah. that's um maybe like an uh, a scary thing as well for um definitely like the millennial generation I know that you you wrote that amazing piece about um like it's never harder to be young that went everywhere and I, you you really hit the nail on the head I thought I mean there's not many things defending the generation of the internet generation. So it was really nice to read. Um, but yeah, I think like we're not writing as much as like in the olden days. I want to write something about an essay about focus. Yeah. Uh, because I think for, I, I mean, my attention span has just shortened and I didn't realize it until pretty recently. I, you know, if I get, with novels, with fiction, I feel like I can dive in and I'm in it and I can stay there. Um, with nonfiction, I can't, it's so hard for me to stay with it. And sometimes I think it's just, well, you know, there's a lot of bad writing out there. You get impatient. It feels like overly, you know, I, I kind of feel like there is this mimicry thing where people, I'm writing an important essay and it just it becomes this labyrinth of, not very impressive insights or just wandering through ideas that isn't, um, or it's just the hot take, you know, like you, you read two paragraphs of a hot take and you're like, Jesus Christ, this is like a overheard conversation on a bus, you know, bored after three seconds, right? <laughs> yeah. Why do we have to make a splash about these flat things? Surely there are better pieces of writing floating around that are more worthy of, you know, fake controversy. Yeah, and that's why we spend three hours without realizing online because it's all the, the, that sort of stuff. I know, and and I'm curious. I feel like my curiosity has grown. Like I want to know, you know, what did happen at the VMAs, and where is this picture? You know, there's this picture of Jay Z and Beyonce and um, Kim Kardashian and Kanye, and it's just such a beautiful picture. Everybody's laughing. Like, where was this taken? What is the backstory? You know, like, I need, where's the BuzzFeed piece by Anne Helen Pat, um, um, Peterson or Sylvia, Sylvia O'Dell? See how it is? I mean, no, no, no attention to detail, just loose, <laughs> very loose, sketchy uh, enthusiasms. I love that one woman who writes for BuzzFeed. She's the greatest. I need her explainer on that photograph. Find it, you know, and then read the loose outlines. I mean, I feel like I'm just becoming the worst kind of generalist in the world because I'm not focused enough. It's, you know, it is anti-intellectual. It is really a dumbing down. And it's, it's, it's not that you can't get, I feel, you know, this is one side of it though. The other side of it is, no, shit, I'm so much more aware of the world than I was before, um, before Twitter. I mean, I'm so much more tuned in to everything and I feel like more connected to other people. I, that sounds insane too. Do you ever get compared to other Agony Aunt columnists and, and does that kind of annoy you? I don't get compared that much. I mean, I get, I get in pieces that are about advice columnists, I get mentioned, which is good. You know, and the the certainly in the pieces about my book, I think a lot of people drew contrasts between different kinds of ag agony ant columns. Um, I, you know, Cheryl Strayed is someone who comes up a lot in talking about the style of column that I write, and that makes sense because I 
love her. And um, mm. she was, I was kind of writing advice on my blog, but I wasn't writing advice in any official capacity when she came along. And I loved Dear Sugar so much. And, um, and I don't think I did think that um, advice could be, I mean, I was writing these long, long letter advice letters on my, on my blog, but I didn't really think that advice could be really emotional, emotionally moving and poignant and provocative um, until I read her column. So, so I kind of, you know, I, I feel flattered by the comparison to her. She's a really yeah. good writer. Um, yeah. And then when, when I'm compared to other kinds of advice columns, I think it's more of a contrast. I mean, I, I think that, you know, there's Andrew WK who writes for the, uh, Village Voice. I love his column. It's really funny. It's about partying usually, <laughs> but it's, you know, he's really smart and writes great things. Um, but, uh, you know, Mallory Orberg writes Dear Prudence and it's great. She's fantastic. Very practical. I mean, there, you know, the, the differences between various advice columnists are pretty obvious. And even the difference between me and Cheryl Strait, you know, yeah. there are obvious differences between us. So I don't think that I've read that many um, pieces that confuse the different kinds of advice. I think that probably more and more people are going to be writing advice columns because they're very fun to read. Um, and it's also, as a writer, kind of a dream because you have a launching point. And you have all these specifics that you can address. It's more like having a conversation than it is like sitting down at your desk and forming an essay out of thin air, you know? Because I, I, I love advice columns so much, but I do feel that whoever is doing the advice column has to have had like a lot of life experience. Other, otherwise, you know, and, and I, it's not like an age thing and it's not a, it's not really anything to do with the person. It's just, you can tell when someone's been through stuff. And I definitely feel that with you and Cheryl, like you've, you've, you've done a lot with your lives. Um, and I, I wonder if lots of people thinking they should be agony aunts. I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. Uh, yeah. I, you know, I guess it, it remains to be seen. I'm sure that there are people who, the thing is there are lots of different ways to, everybody offers what they have. If I had pitched a column and thought, I'm going to do my best to write this column as well as Cheryl Strait does. Um, that would have been a massive mistake because I don't, you know, if I were try if I were aiming for even thinking of her, um, I, my column would have been shitty. Um, if you're just imitating someone or you have in mind, like, I hope I can be as good as this person. Um, the chances are what you are bringing to the table is entirely different than what the, whoever you're, even if you love someone's work, you bring a whole new set of things to the table. So, you know, I, I, I want to be encouraging. I think that people um, should write whatever they feel and bring whatever they have to the picture. It's You're kind of not a writer unless you can manage to bring what you have and celebrate it. Um, so I think that's good. But that said, you know, anytime people are doing something pretty well, uh, there are going to be a lot of imitators who do it less well and a lot who, you know, I mean, the thing is, imitators kind of says it all if you're if you feel like you're imitating something you might not write something that or create something that can, is distinguishable from a lot of other imitators right but I um I did read that Cheryl Strayed wrote Dear Sugar for free um for a long time I didn't know that at the very beginning and it kind of I, it brought up all these thoughts for me of um it's hard isn't it to be a writer yeah I mean I, I was stunned when uh, I met her when her book came out, Wild came out, and she told me that she wrote it for free. And I was, um, 
amazed by that. You know, I barely got paid by the all in the beginning. I just said, like, give me just the tiniest amount and and then I'll have an excuse to spend time doing this. If you know you want to write something that most people are not going to publish, um, it doesn't, it does make some sense to make people an offer they can't refuse, which is kind of what I did with the all. I mean, you know, it's interesting. It's like, so, I, there's also just the, I'm very conflicted about the kind of um, cult of personality career path also, because I think that if you really, I mean, for me, I love writing. I just want to keep writing. I don't necessarily want to fly all over and, and speak to people. I think that it's really impressive when people can pull that off and that's what they, that's who they are and that's what they do. Um, I think, uh, but, but I don't, um, I don't know. I, I, I sort of just, I, I think, you know, possibly this is a pathology, but I want to keep producing, you know, like I want that my existence is uh, adding up to something in a way. Um, but I also just savor the act of writing um, and enjoy it. Um, so, so yeah, but, and also just the word guru. I mean, I love, I'm fascinated by the, the sort of the, the economy the economics of the guru, <laughs> but I yeah. also just, I, I, and I'm also just repelled by the idea of being a guru. You know, I mean, I, I don't think that it's in my nature to, you know, obviously I like holding forth. I mean, listen to me, I can't shut up, but, um, but I don't, I don't want to hold forth in an official capacity as a saint who's bringing you wisdom, you know? Yeah, no, that's, it's an interesting one because when someone goes, goes to that status, it's sometimes you have to repeat yourself. And I feel like what you do is never repetitive because it's always a new challenge. It's always a new question. It's always new territory. That's absolutely true. It's, it's funny because I was, I was talking to someone about this and I was saying that um, I, when I was, it, it's, it kind of makes me sound like an idiot, but I also write uh, songs. And when I was first learning guitar, I sort of, didn't want to know the mathematics. Like I didn't really want to know the notes or the names for anything because I didn't want to know that I was writing the same song over and over again. Um, and I kind of feel that way with a column. It's like, sometimes I realize, wow, I've really been on about this or that for a few weeks now, what's going on with me. Or, or I, I think, Jesus, this, you know, is this a little bit like something else I've written? And one of the dangers with the book was having to read old stuff for the, you know, a fourth of the book is old columns. Um, having to read, look through my old stuff was sort of like, no, no, don't kill the golden goose and know yourself and well enough to know what you've been doing. Just keep doing the magic, you know, blind in the dark. Because the thing is, I don't want to, you're, you're absolutely right about, it's like, I don't want to just say i mean there's a there are a few lines in my book that i've been that i returned to because i just i read them out loud a bunch of times on the book tour and they occur to me a lot because they just it's like the best part of the book to me and i you know it's sort of like oh god don't let me become this person who says reads these four lines over and over for the rest of my life i don't want to do that it's like write something better heather don't keep just going back and this, but but the thing is i mean i do think that in order to be a successful product today um that's the easiest path it's the shortest path and it's in some ways arguably what people want you know they want something that they can carry around with them that they can frame on the wall or repeat or get tattooed on their bodies or any number of things um and that's 
I, you know, I'm not against that. I just think that for me personally, it's like, I would rather, I actually love proving myself over and over again. And I'd rather do that now. Maybe I'll change my tune in 10 years and I'll be like, yeah, yeah. Just, you know, see column 15, you know, 15,032. <laughs> yeah, no, there's something really mag magical about that, though, of like you not really remembering what you've done. It's almost like on to the next one. <laughs> yeah, fresh. I mean, the thing is, rediscovering it, it's a kind of like a new way of relearning it. Um, but plus, I just think that, you know, look, we have a million sources of wisdom in our faces at all times if we want them, you know. So, you know, we can we can read the same quotes over and over again that say, you know, breathe in this moment, you know, seize the day. And, you know, those things, there are times when I stumble on something that says seize the day and I think, yeah, seize the fucking day. But, um, but you know, but, but the, there's a difference between being told, you know, something very basic over and over again and it not being able to touch you anymore and reading something that says essentially the same, the same thing, but that gets you there somehow, you know, it's sort of like, it's, it's a little bit like sex. It's like every time you have sex, it should feel like the first time you're having sex, right? It shouldn't feel like, oh, this is what we do. First we do this and then we do that. It's like I, it I read something online the other day that was like um, 20 lessons from a man um, on his deathbed. And I read it and, and it's obviously like life lessons and like a list of things that you should l learn in life. And it was really kind of I felt bad that I didn't feel anything. I mean, obviously, it was like yeah. on a viral article, like website. <laughs> well, it was a list, right? Yeah. You know? and, and I mean, how could it not be filled with cliches? The thing is, I, I think that the people who read my column are more people who are like, okay, the first thousand words, I'm just saying to myself, I hope this gets better. <laughs> you know, which, I mean, that's terrible. It's not, it's not like it's brevity doesn't, is not important or doesn't matter. I, I'm trying to be more concise. No, I, I think am. you've got the perfect mix because you have to read the whole thing because there's loads of like nuance in there. And, and, um, but then at the same time, it's very clickable. So <laughs> it's like the magic mix. Um, but I love reading it. It's like, you have to sit down with a cup of tea and read it properly. I think that there are people who, you know, that I, I feel gratified by the fact that I have hardcore readers who are like, I sit down and I commit because it's so hard. It is so hard to do that. You know, I mean, you have to believe you have to believe that it's going to bring you somewhere. Right. You have to believe that there will be some reward to committing. Yeah. And it's just nice to have someone like you who's doing that. And you can know that actually writing stuff that's meaningful will get read because I, th I feel like the internet's a horrible place sometimes where people are just trying to get you to read their thing and it's just noisy yeah. and to have a column that's regular and you just you need to read it is amazing. I wondered if you are good at taking other people's advice. No, I'm not. Um, I did. I, I think that I've gotten a little better at it. I used to be just about, I mean, okay, I think there was a phase where I never even considered taking anyone's advice ever, um, but I would inadvertently take terrible advice um here and there is specifically the terrible stuff not the good not the good advice but the terrible terrible advice the one thing that my mom always said to me when i was young that i did actually take is she would say just do something you've been putting off and you'll feel better whenever i was a little depressed or sulky um and that actually was incredible advice that i've taken like there are times when i'm just like oh jesus i can't do anything and i just um 
I just go outside and, you know, pull some weeds out of the yard or water or something for a little while. And I feel a thousand times better. Um, but I, but that, you know, that was the early stage. Then there was a stage of like never taking any advice from anyone. Then I took, I used to ask people for advice. I feel like this happened about 10 years ago. I maybe just, just was pregnant, just had a, a baby and just felt like I was getting everything wrong. Um, so I just walked around asking people what I should do, what I should do, what I should do. But then I think I didn't, um, trust the answers or did, or tried to take the advice and then applied it badly. Um, lately I find that I actually take people's advice. For example, with this health thing that I was talking about, I was really worked up over the health of this family member of mine that, you know, this relative that I was really worried about. And I sat down with two friends who are both writers and I, who I just love. And I said, I explained the situation. They're like, God, that's terrible. That sounds terrible. Um, and then I said something else like, and obviously this will happen and that will happen. And I think there might be, you know, this is going on. And my friend just looked at me and said, you're someone who catastrophizes things. You take a little information and you run with it and your anxious brain turns it into a story that only has one ending. You know, and I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's so true. And, you know, it just released me, actually. I, I took it in and I was like, Jesus, I just um, I've been writing the ending to the story all along. And all I have to do is just step back a little bit. You know, I mean, I think that smart, smart, engaged people who are very sensitive get drawn into um, thinking that either that they control reality or that reality controls them and, you know, there's nothing they can, you know, it's all predestined. Um, it's easy to burrow into something, you know, so I was such good advice. So that was something that I actually listened to. So maybe I'm getting better. Maybe yeah, I'm actually that is really good advice. People. Yeah, it is good advice. I mean, the thing is, the things that when people know you well, actually, they, they, I think if you're not defensive, they can give you some of the best advice. But it's just, it's that hard thing where, when a smart person knows you well, it might come out the wrong way and sound stigmatizing. If you have a lot of shame on board, like you might not be able to receive it properly. Um, so learning to receive things without being defensive, I think, is one of the big challenges of my current life. I know that sounds very um, primordial of me to be still struggling with that. Um, but yeah, there it is. I'm a pretty messed up human. But then does do, do, you, do you find that writing is... Um you must subconsciously take on your own advice when you're writing it. Um, yeah, I, 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 um, I have taken, uh, you know, when, I, when I'm get, there are often times when I am sort of advising something and I'm really just remind, you know, I, you know, giving advice about something and I'm reminding myself of what I should be doing or I give advice. And then I think, my God, I'm not even doing that. Like what is wrong with me? Um, and it sort of feels irresponsible not to take it. You know, I tell people, step away from your computer all the time. And yet, you know, I just burrow into my computer a lot. And I, I have, I, I am trying to actually set up rules whereby I don't turn to my computer at all past a certain hour. Um, and, you know, you break your own rules, obviously. But I think, um, yeah, I've, I've. I've become much, much happier over the years. Thanks to writing this column. I, you know, I, I, I would feel like a, a total, um, you know, a, 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 just a demon if I didn't take my own advice. And I, you know, I think my, my advice is working on myself, you know, it's a, 
it's adding up to um, a pretty good thing. That, that said, um, part of the, the center of what I believe is that you, even when you're living at, you know, peak performance, best life level, um, you still just wake up in the morning and sometimes you just feel terrible and you are just not happy with yourself and you're not happy with your world. And the, the, one of the biggest things I think that I've learned from my, my writing my column is that's unavoidable. And it's the, some of the worst the worst piece of it is blaming yourself for how you feel, like as if you're a failure for just having that wave of, you know, oh my God, it's going to be a bad day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, how how do you how do you write a consistent column with that? Because um, I know that you know to be a writer, obviously, you can't wait for the perfect scenario and the perfect mood and the perfect setting, but. Is that, is that kind of true for your column? Like you just have to sit down and do it regardless of how you're feeling. Yeah. I mean, if I have, absolutely. If I have a day where I sit down and I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to write an inspiring, you know, you know, I have a letter in mind and I think like, I'm going to write an inspiring response about, um, you know, about living as a single woman and seizing the day and, and conquering all and riding the dragon and blah, blah, blah. Um, I just tend to just write crap. Um, when I'm, when I'm in that mindset, I have to remind myself, especially in the last few weeks when I've just been kind of kicking cans and sulking. Um, I, I have to remind myself to use what I have, uh, whatever it is. And so this, this week's column is a good example of that. I got this, um, I was at the end of this Shirley Jackson novel, Hangs a Man, which is a great novel, I strongly recommend it. But it was just, and I got this letter that was, you know, that's the letter that went up today. And it was like, you know, some people are just miserable and they'll always be miserable. That's so awesome. But I was like, oh my God, I feel like I'm getting this, this, this letter writer. I mean, I, I have empathy for this, but I, but I feel like this letter writer straight out of a Shirley Jackson novel. And I, you know, I just, it made me angry, which is a good sign. You know, when I get a letter that makes me mad, that means like, I got to answer this letter, but I, I answered it and I just felt angry as I was answering it. You know, I mean, I, I think that I, um, and I was worried halfway through, like, is this going to just sound, you know, I'm attacking this poor woman who says she likes my column. Like, is this fair? Um, but I think, I think there are times when you just, you have to take what you, what, whatever you have on that day. And the more that I honor that and do it, you know, I think the more, the more diverse and interesting and weird the column is. And also just the better the writing is when you stay where you are, when you figure out where you are and you write from that place, um, the writing is just so much better. I mean, you, you can't be trying to do something that you, that's either someone else does or that you've done. Even you have to just do what you, you know, work from exactly what you have at the moment yeah oh I love that and it, it makes so much sense that the book is called how to be a person in the world because it's sort of you're doing that too oh god yeah I and mean, I don't I don't um I mean I, I I've said this in interviews over and over again this summer just what while promoting the book it's like I don't have um despite the very very arrogant uh title to my book um I don't remotely have all the answers no one does and that's 
that's, you know, one of the big lessons of all of it. You don't get older and wiser and, and everything makes sense to you suddenly. Um, every day is a new struggle toward meaning and it does, it just, it does not go smoothly. It cannot go smoothly. That's the nature of human existence. Definitely. And, and that's why I love the, um, like the subtitle is, um, a guide through the paradoxes of modern life because everything really is a contradiction I feel sometimes but we're in this state of needing to have like a solid opinion or a solid feeling and I feel like that about Twitter like you can't change your mind twice in a day but we should be allowed to (laughs) yeah I mean I actually think that openly changing your mind at this point is kind of a revolutionary act you know so rebellious yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Isn't that ridiculous? It really it's so is. funny. But it's but that's just I mean, I think the culture is changing. The culture is always changing. And I think that, you know, some of the kind of uh, what I see on Twitter these days is almost like a loosening up of like um, where people are sort of saying, you know what, I, I just want to let my ugliness show and I want to let my confusion show. And I mean, and eventually that will get old, too. And we'll be like, yes, uh, well, I'm strong and decisive. And I don't know what's wrong with you wishy-washy people. Um, so it all swings around, but I think, I think that we are in a moment where it's sort of like, if you are remote, you know, totally off brand and wishy-washy and a mess, not a mess, but just like all over the map. Um, there's something refreshing about that. My favorite follows on Twitter are definitely people who are just sometimes very bright and optimistic and sometimes just gloomy as hell and, and many times just funny and, and nasty and snide and other times very open hearted. I think that everyone is all those things. And so I want to see that that's the kind of person, I mean, you feel like, you know, that person, you know, more than you feel like, you know, the person who only gives you inspiration or darkness. I'm the same. I feel like maybe people unfollow me when I'm a bit like, bitchy one day but oh then yeah I, but then I, I'm, sh- I'm sure they do <laughs> yeah I'm sure they they're do. like I thought you were nice but then um I feel like the people who stay are kind of accepting of my many sides yeah so absolutely. I like that yeah well it's kind of like it's not un- dissimilar to scaring off a love partner by being exactly who you are you know there are people who but the the ideal is to scare people off early so that you you know you're only left with the hardcore true lovers of you so true or your inconstant self at any rate and people either kind of love the fact that you're a contradiction or they're like i like simple things i must be gone <laughs> yeah oh well thanks so much that was amazing to talk to you Thank you, Emma. No worries. Lovely speaking to you. Bye. 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 If you liked this episode, please remember to leave a review or a rating on iTunes. It would mean so much to me. Also, um, tweet me at girllostincity on Twitter. I'd love to hear your feedback. So thanks so much again for listening and make sure you tune in next week.